evening, everyone. I'm Ian James Wright from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to The Alphabetical Fugazi, the only podcast that devotes an episode each to discussing every song in the band's catalog from Fuga A to Fuga Z. And joining me today to discuss Two Beats Off, our final episode on the 1990 album Repeater, are Benji and Steven Rickard, two brothers and Fugazi fans from Portland. Uh, let's just to get a baseline for what your voices sound like. Uh, uh, Benji, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having us, Ian. And Steven, how are you? Red-handed! <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I couldn't help it. I, I'm great. Obviously. Obviously. <laughs> Talking about two beats off. Uh, a stone-cold Fugazi classic. Thank you for having us. And thank you for your enthusiasm. <laughs> I, love that, uh, I love that shout. That's <laughs> Come on now. This is Fugazi. If if this episode had come earlier in the course of the show, I might have to sort of cut that out and use it as a drop throughout like the whole course of the podcast. <laughs> oh, you're too kind. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. So so here we are, uh, two brothers. I'm I'm a little bit envious of you guys, even you know right off the bat before I hear your story. I'm a sibling. I have two sisters, but. Uh, we, we've never had much music in common. I've never had that sort of like sibling bonding experience of liking the same band a whole lot. So, um, please, if you could, and you know, either one of you can take it, but please tell me your story and how you both got into Fugazi and your life together as Fugazi fans. Well, let, let, I'll jump in first. Cause, uh, Steven is definitely more, uh, uh, he, he tends to catalog things. He's the one that you can name an album and he'll know like all the liner notes and the track names and I'm more of the big picture kind of guy. So <laughs> our, our Fugazi stories, like a lot of them in that there's kind of the, like discovering them in middle school for me phase. And then us kind of starting to play music and really, you know, kind of seeing them as a, as a huge influence. And then finally getting to like see the band several times live. So, uh, he'll have more of the details and I'll kind of give it just the big picture that, uh, for, for us Fugazi. So we were, you know, I'm 45. So we're kind of at that right age where we still had the chance to see them live and discover them in their, in their prime, so to speak. But it was like, uh, like a lot of things. So we're actually, there's four of us brothers. So our poor mother had four sons and, uh, the two older brothers were kind of more into like the sports and things like that. And, and Steven and I kind of bonded over music. So, uh, some of my older brothers, friends uh when we were getting into we had a, a good friend ori move over from connecticut so he got us into like some east coast hardcore and punk rock where we were kind of coming up from a, a metal thing just because pre-internet you just discovered the music you discovered and then record stores were really the way that you'd learn about new things so the short version is that a friend of my brother's uh had a minor threat t-shirt on and i went up and had a quick conversation I was like hey you know because back then it's like if you saw anybody that had something that wasn't like bon jovi or you know <laughs> def leppard you got really excited like hey that's that's something that's legitimate you know and uh he's he actually kind of well pump your brakes but if you want to check something really cool out you should see what these guys are doing now it's called fugazi check that out and so the next time our parents took us to the, rec the local record store i was able to get repeater which was just happened to be the current record out and so then it was just uh you know rolling forward with the band buying steady diet when it came out and then working our way back and forward through the catalog until we were finally able to like uh see them live and all that so that that's kind of our that's how we got into the band and then um fast forward quite a ways when we started playing music on our own we were learning Long Division and, uh, you know, some of the early, you know, some of the like Red Medicine tunes in our parents' basement to try and form our own songs that we that we've played in several bands together. And that's kind of how we got going, I guess. Cool. Long distance runner, long distance runner. Remember that <laughs> lesson quite well. So great on guitar or bass. Um, 
Yeah, just to make it clear, though, I want to emphasize that there were four boys and our mother suffered greatly. There was also one bathroom in the first house that we grew up in. So she really suffered. Uh, You know, she she broke down crying a lot with all these boys hanging around. It was it was a rough scene for our mom, but she pulled through. She eventually got her dream house with uh, with three three point five bathrooms. So it all worked out. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, just to provide a little more context of, of what Benji was just saying, like we, we grew up in the eighties, of course, I'm, I am the youngest, uh, at 40, 43 now, holy, holy cow. And, um, we grew up in the eighties with, uh, like contemporary Christian music was a big thing in our house and uh, modern country. That's really what our parents were into, but also like the, the oldies and, uh, 80s AM yacht rock, uh, the Chariots of Fire soundtrack, and of course uh, Paul Simon's Graceland, and just pop music in general. So like that was really the foundation of of what we uh, were listening to. But really, what led us to where we're at today is um, we do have two older brothers, as Benji mentioned, and our uh, the second oldest brother Matt one day brought home Appetite for Destruction. Well, I think more accurately, he snuck it in because um, it might as well have been contraband. My mom would have never allowed that album in any circumstances, but there it was. (laughs) Benji and I got a blank tape copy of it. And for better or worse, this album truly changed our lives. And the three of us, Matt, Benji, and myself, we all got into heavy metal bands like Iron Maiden, Metallica, Anthrax, and and tons of others. And where we lived um, kind of out in the country outside of Portland, Oregon, we didn't have cable and we, we had really poor TV reception. So like we didn't even get Fox. If you can imagine a time where you just have like three channels, that was us. But what we did have was we had a VCR and we had VHS tapes. And so we would loan those out to our friends who did have cable and they would tape episodes of headbangers ball for us. And that really, <laughs> that intensified our halcyon heavy metal days for sure. So we'd watch videos by like Queensryche, but then it, it would be followed by a video by like sick of it all. You know, you'd see a Megadeth video followed by bad brains. And so uh, all that to say, fast forward to 1992, you know, people say that was the year that punk broke, but I, I think of it as like the year that grunge broke. You know, that whole alternative college rock boom that hit the mainstream, you know, that Fugazi was really critical of and, and rightly so. But it's kind of funny how that actually got us into bands like Fugazi eventually. But like at the time, we were definitely into all those grunge bands. You know, we liked bands like Pearl Jam, U2, R.E.M. And, um, you know, honestly, Ian, you might appreciate this, but like not unlike hearing Appetite for Destruction for the first time um, in November of 92, Benji and I were big uh, Saturday Night Live viewers and our lives were forever altered when we saw Morrissey perform on Saturday Night Live. And again, that just kind of changed everything for us. We, uh, you know, we were into Morrissey at that point and and still liked, you know, dumb stuff like the Wayne's World soundtrack and Arrested Development and Madonna. I just, I, I mentioned all this because I think like a lot of teenagers, we were just open to different kinds of music and really soaked it all up. And it was in that spirit of being interested in a variety of music that as long as it was good, we listened to. And that's when Fugazi entered. So yeah, it was simply Benji reaching out. And it's kind of funny because hearing him this morning talk about that, like I remember being into repeater and steady diet of nothing. I seem to recall buying steady diet of nothing on cassette for Benji's birthday. Does that sound right, Benji? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. So like, if you can imagine, there was a point where we had those two albums and and nothing else by Fugazi, but um, I had a blank 60 minute tape that had like 
all of repeater except for shut the door on side one and then shut the door and like steady diet up through polish <laughs> so like i didn't i didn't know polish was a bad song until years later you know because i only heard like half of it um but i listened to that tape over and over and over and over again and um uh yeah it's just you know i, I think it, it slowly got under my skin and just you know penetrated my very core and i think the same thing happened with uh with benji um benji i recall you getting like the first ep and maybe kill taker on cassette like like sometime after Killtaker had gone out. So like, you know, imagine we, we're listening to Fugazi since 92. I'm sorry, this is probably more information than anybody cares about. But like, I think of those years as just like so formative and, and life-changing. And, and again, it's why we're here talking right now. Um, Benji, what do you remember about like the albums after that? Well, I mean, the the definitive, let's just pause for a second and remember that the, the definitive way to listen to Steady Diet is on cassette because you get the wraparound instrumental. That yes. That's the only way to listen to that record. <laughs> yeah, I, I was speculating about that on the episode. I had never heard that album either on cassette or on vinyl. I, I just had it on CD. Well, and, and to describe it for you, because I, I could tell you, 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 you didn't grow up listening to it that way like we did. Um, it's most of the song, and then it literally just fades out at the end um, on, on side A, and then you turn it around uh, and listen to side B and it starts fading back in like as they're doing those guitar squalls and all that stuff and then it does the last hits and then it's over and long division begins um, so it because you know Fugazi of course wasn't the kind of band that would fade out a song so like you kind of you know it kind of stuck out in a way but yeah. um, boy what a little banger <laughs> the steady died of nothing instrumental um, and so, yeah, just to kind of wrap up this this little backstory, um, I will say that uh, I got a disc man for Christmas. And this is when I kind of started moving from uh, cassettes into CDs. And in the ninth grade, I was actually on just a dumb little uh, movie date with with my girlfriend at the time. And I'll never forget, like I I like I heard about. 13 songs you know benji had the first ep i believe and so i was like oh what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna sneak out of this movie go down to camelot records in the mall and buy 13 songs on cd uh by the way for those of you uh keeping score the movie was with honors starring joe pesci and moira kelly moira kelly one of my all-time favorite uh 90s movie stars just fyi but um i'll note that down yeah please do very important um but anyway I, I did. I snuck out of the movie. I was like, I got to go to the bathroom. And then um, I went down to Camelot. They, they didn't have 13 songs on CD, but what did they have? They had in on the kill taker. And so I ended up buying that instead. And it's like, uh, it was just destined to be, cause I mean, it's probably my favorite album of all time to this day. Uh, you know, uh, the argument might be their best record if that makes sense. But like, I think kill taker is my personal favorite. I just love it so much. Um, and uh yeah just just kind of wrapping up with our story and and fugazi uh as ben benji mentioned like we started going to shows and and we had our own like i don't i don't know what else to call it it's like uh, we had our own christian grunge scene uh, like in church basements and and so we would see shows and we started playing in 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 crummy crummy bands together and uh it was a scene like any other though you know we had like hardcore bands punk bands grunge bands uh like more european arty bands and and there were independent labels to support and many bands that we loved and and played with and were inspired by and there was a, a sense of community and belonging that uh i know we're both really grateful for these experiences but i think that again that scene kind of opened us up 
and contributed to us connecting on a deeper level with Fugazi and the Discord bands in general. I, I think it was around this time that we started um, mail ordering things from Discord, uh, you know, because it, again, thanks to major labels, I'm sorry, but like it, it really helped our listening experience. We were getting into bands like Jawbox and Shudder to Think, and we're kind of working our way back uh, with the Discord um, back catalog. So, um, you know, it was just such a special thing to be ordering those seven inches and, and get a note from Amy, you know, I mean, remember those Benji? Well, yeah, I mean, th there's one of the nice things is you could go to a Camelot or a tower records and the nice, the, one of the interesting things that kind of, kind of switched us, I guess it would kind of pique your interest is just seeing the $8 post paid from discord. And so that <laughs> it started, you'd have to evaluate and think, well, maybe I should just put, instead of giving my money to tower or giving my money to these chains, what if I just started ordering directly and yeah. um, Stephen and I worked at a at a small music retailer, and we were a Fender dealer. And it's kind of a funny, goofy thing, but uh, every amplifier had a weird padded mailer on the end end of the power cord to protect it from the speaker from beating into the speaker during shipping. Oh yeah. And uh, after unpacking a handful of amps, I just started thinking, you know, these are just padded mailers that are going to go to waste. And so I started boxing them up, and then every month or two, oh, when yeah. I'd get like a full box full, I would send them to Discord, and I'd just like, <laughs> you, you guys could probably use these. And then Amy would send back a little, you know, ne never like we didn't get like crazy swag or anything, but she would just say, hey, thanks for the mailers, and we'd get the catalog or maybe some uh, flyers or something. So for us, it was kind of this weird thing where it really started a DIY awareness of where do our dollars go. Um, and how does commerce work? Like just the tiniest little thing of like, hey, don't overpay for this. Don't let Tower mark this up to 12 bucks. Buy it for $8 from us started kind of a real, uh, honestly, it, like like styrofoam as a song, you know, makes you start thinking about, uh, <laughs> you know, ecological debates and things. Um, it, it, it created just more of a, that kind of that punk rock ethos or just the look at where do, where do your dollars go? Where does energy go? And And a stupid little thing like, well, instead of throwing these mailers away, why don't I send them over to Discord? And it's it would be funny to hear, like, uh, I don't even know if they would even remember, oh, yeah, that weird <laughs> guy from Portland was sending us all of these mailers that we got to reuse. I always wanted to get a Discord order back in one of those uh, padded mailers that I knew that I'd pulled out of a fender box, but I don't think it ever happened. <laughs> I love that. That's great. And it just your story in general about sort of, you know, catch as catch can, listening to music, uh, sharing tapes like yeah you would you would own a couple of albums your friend would own a couple of different ones and you'd trade with each other and, and tape what they had it, there is like such an interesting economy of how we would uh, like how we would accomplish things back in those days and how we would acquire music that's uh I, I, like it, i don't know if i could say it's it's better than now but it i don't know it felt special somehow and i miss it yeah. Yeah. Me, I mean, I think us too. And it's like, I don't think, you know, it, it's just such a different time. You know, people don't share music physically like that anymore or, or don't seem to, you know, yeah. um, I no, mean, like, I love, oh, go like, ahead. like you would, you would write your name on your, on your tapes and CDs and stuff, right? Like in Sharpie yeah. in case you loaned it to some, like as soon as I would get a CD, <laughs> I would write my name on it. It's just what I did, which is yeah, right. weird. Like who, <laughs> nobody borrows CDs anymore. No, you have to. Otherwise, it's like, hey, come on, man. That's my Red Medicine CD. Give it back. <laughs> um, is, is spe and speaking of Red Medicine, I just want to clarify, like, so we were getting into Fugazi, like, from the early 90s, but I remember Red Medicine as being, like, the first album that we were, like, actively anticipating and, and waiting for. 
Um, and again, like what, what a great album to really uh, quench that thirst of like Fugazi is our favorite band at this point. You know, we are just obsessed with um, Fugazi and uh, Hey, in case you can't, tell it hasn't ever really stopped but um uh, you know unfortunately this passion around the red medicine era does lead us to perhaps the most tra traumatic event of our young lives and that is thursday november 2nd 1995 a date which lives in infamy fugazi plays the luna in portland oregon and we found out about the show the day of Needless to say, it was it was all sold out. But, you know, we headed down to La Luna anyway, hoping for some kind of miracle. But um, unfortunately, like a 100 or so other people had the same idea. And we were all kind of like wrapped around the venue, like packed in like sardines in a tin can, crushed not to have a ticket, but still hoping somehow some way to find entrance through those doors and into the venue. And and like the show starts, we can hear the openers like playing, playing, starting their sets and stuff. And like a doorman would pop his head out every half hour and would tell us like it's hopeless you might as well go home there's no way you're getting into this show like just all leave and um i'm not sure how long we were out there honestly it felt like hours and it was cold and miserable and we had achy achy joints and tired feet but like we were willing to stand there all night if only we could get into that warm room in front of our band and finally like after after a couple hours i think one of the promoters walks outside and he re reasons with us and is like look I know you want in, but we're at full capacity. Like there's no more tickets. It, this just isn't going to happen. So why don't you like get a warm meal and just take it easy for the rest of the night. Okay. Now, like there's no reason to c continue to put up with all this. Just go home. And after that, like the, the audience did kind of break up outside and, and slowly made our way back to um, the rest of our lives. The future looking very dark and painfully disappointing. But uh, Benji and I and the two friends that we were with drove down to a, a Pietro's pizza um, outside of our, our hometown and just drowned our sorrows in pizza and root beer, a, a truly pathetic ending to just a terrible evening, an evening that still burns after all these years and we're not going to get over it. Thank you very much. Um, but, uh, yeah, as, as Benji mentioned, there is a silver lining. We did eventually see them, um, on the end hits tour at, uh, at the crystal ballroom. Benji, do you remember that show? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I remember, I mean, it's funny in hearing people that and that's not funny, but like just some people accessing Fugazi even after they, you know, went on uh, their indefinite hiatus. And so so we do really, truly feel uh, grateful for the many shows that we were able to then see. I mean, we even um, I'm sure we'll end up talking a little bit about uh, following them around like like they were our Grateful Dead, uh, Stephen and I. <laughs> booked no no accommodations but you know in the in the pre-internet days we got as many tickets to as many shows as we could up in canada as they did a fly out west coast uh tour and um so we got to see them more than once which was which was great for us uh and 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 truly like formative and we'll steven used to always talk about how like if you pretend like you belong somewhere you can get somewhere so when we saw them in springfield just outside of eugene um we actually just kind of walked up and started talking to like we knew that once the the crowd left then eventually the band would break down gear so we hung out long enough and then just kind of marched up like we belonged on stage and got to have some incre incredible interactions with like brendan and joe and i had done a couple of van tours by that point so i you know i was talking about days off and just how weird the road is with with joe and it's 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 so i mean like so what band 
that you start out as a teenager just kind of like idolizing. And then we even both wrote fan letters to the bands and got, got fan letters back when we were teenagers. And then in our early 20s to then be able to share the experience of, of music with them um, and, and then have them talk. Like Brendan gave, I was uh, at the time I was engaged and so about to get married. And uh, Brendan gave me advice about wedding bands and what to do and you know who to book, who not to book, that kind of thing. And we even jokingly, like I sent him an invitation to the wedding and then we'll never forget, we worked at a little <laughs> guitar shop and uh, the caller ID popped up Brendan Canty and he was politely, you know, politely declining the invitation to come out to the West Coast to, to my <laughs> wedding. <laughs> but they were just really gracious guys and because we worked at the music store, I we would send them um, gear you know, kind of at our cost and stuff. It, it didn't you know, we didn't send them a ton of stuff, but like strings and other discounted items uh, would go back and forth. And it just, again, kind of going back to that DIY ethos of just like helping each other out and just realizing that like, um, while you probably couldn't access like a band like Iron Maiden or something in the same way, the the guys just in all of our interactions with them uh, just proved to be down to earth, like just great people that, uh, you know, then we had these kind of this funny little interactions with um, besides just, you know, seeing them up on a stage. Honestly, I think a lot of what we did up in Canada would be considered stalking these days. And you know, I'm glad. <laughs> there was no restraining orders or whatever. But you have to imagine two guys in their early 20s in a in a beat up old car, not not having a hotel room and just following you around. And it's honest. It, it's just great that they didn't you know call security to clear <laughs> us out of the 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 curling rink that we got to see them up in uh vancouver and so i don't know yeah i'm sure they deal with oregonian stalkers every day of the week no problem <laughs> right that's probably true and you know ian it's worth mentioning one of those uh canadian shows was the july 6th 2001 victoria bc show where they played hello morning so like we actually are one of the few the proud who have heard hello morning wow. in person um <laughs> and you know another song that they played that night is a little number called two beats off Oh, you're doing my segue for me. Okay. <laughs> I thought I, I thought I talked long enough. Maybe I should just get there. <laughs> yeah. I, don't mean to try to take over, but. No, I, I mean, listen, the people who listen to this podcast have been hearing me prattle on for over 90 episodes now. <laughs> so if you guys want to take the reins, fine with me, probably well, fine with everyone listening. <laughs> and I just want to say too, like, again, as uh, like, I'm not just a fan of Fugazi or, or Benji, like we're fans of this podcast too. And podcasts were kind of a new thing for me, like kind of got into it during COVID uh, as like, I couldn't go to the movies or, or do this, that, or the other thing. So like, I kind of, I discovered it sort of, uh, you know, by accident, I think, but like, it's really been a bomb during a tough time so like prattle on and to you know future <laughs> guests i know there aren't too many left but like prattle on like i i love hearing the the first question of like how did you get into fugazi and that's why it's so easy to just go on and on about it because i think it's it's a very universal thing for all of us you know music uh geeks and and people who are passionate about this band and rightly so and it's cool that we're talking about two beats off because um you know repeater is really where it started for us and and i really dig the uh I don't know, uh, symmetry of kind of talking about one of its tracks. So like, so here we go. Uh, wh where would you all like to start on this song? Well, I would like to just say off the bat that, you know, you are talking about a pretty big one in terms of the live career. It's, I have it at number 12 on the most played oh, list. Oh, wow. Wow. I get one interesting thing. I haven't really mentioned this in the course of the show, but you go to the Fugazi live series and every once in a while you'll see uh, a song in sort of a nascent form as like an instrumental um, and you can see that for this song on May 3rd 1989 uh, if you download that show there's a two beats off instrumental 
uh, and then fi- oh. in uh, in July twentieth, nineteen eighty nine. That's the first uh, proper time they played two beats off. Uh, just for those curious, um, but yeah, uh, check that out. Um, I have in my notes here that uh, producer Ted Nicely thought that Gee's vocals on this were television ish. I'm not sure if I wrote that down as like something he said uh, w- when I talked to him and he was on the podcast or uh, somewhere else, but I'm sure I wouldn't have written it down if it weren't true. So there you go. And um, uh, I, the one one little thing I found is Athens, Georgia, um, on Pi Day, um, 3-14-1990. Guy said this, and I've, I've heard Guy introduce songs before in ways that seem like he's just messing with people. Uh, but here's what, <laughs> here's what he said. He said, you ever read The Postman Always Rings Twice? Go to the library and check it out. This is a song I wrote after reading the book this afternoon. It's called Two Beats wow. Off. <laughs> huh. So, uh, yeah. That's he, crazy. He clearly didn't write it that afternoon. Um, <laughs> so, so that's a fucking lie. Um, but, uh, <laughs> right? But it's something, and, and I went, I'm pretty sure I had seen that movie, and I was like, did that, is there any um, thematic elements in common with the lyrics of this song? And if, if there were, I couldn't figure it out, but uh, I, I just thought that was funny, so uh, I'm including it there. Yeah, wow. that that's great. But um, uh, I, Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, other than that stuff, uh, I would like to hear uh, where you guys want to start. Well, yeah, may- maybe we can start lyrically, because, um, you know, lyrically, I'm not the best analyzer. Um, I do have a few thoughts, of course, that I'll share with y'all, but uh, music is really where I sink my teeth into things, you know. But um, that whole uh, Postman Rings Twice thing is really interesting. Uh, I've a- I actually have read that book and seen, you know, the original with uh, what is Lana Turner in it? Um, I think so. Who's like one of my favorite, like classic uh, screen uh, queens, and um, and and the newer one too, which is like kind of more earthy and and uh, down and dirty in some ways. But um, the the one with Jessica Lange and Jack Nicholson, and you know, like Fugazi, I I think Benji and I are really into uh, to cinema. And actually, I I listened to an episode of yours recently, Ian, and I totally got the Four Hundred Blows connection. I was like, yes, the the album cover of Steady Diet of Nothing does kind of remind one of the the character to Four Hundred Blows, a movie Benji and I both love, by the way. Oh, it's great. Um, yeah, great. I feel appreciated. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> oh yeah, no, we we see you, Ian. We see you. Uh, but uh, th- there's a line in uh, Two Beats Off that has always stayed with me over the years, and it's um, that's when desire trips me up, mm-hmm. and I think about how, like, I, you know, I'm a I'm a human, I'm a flawed person, and I've made some mistakes o- over the years, and you know, on on different levels, and like that's something that's played in my head. You know, the, those uh, I, I think it's universal in some ways because we all have the things that we face and struggle with at times, our own trials, you know, and there's times where I like wake up at 2 a.m. in a cold sweat and just think like, what am I doing with my life or how did I get here? And it's <laughs> like to me, that's sort of represented in that line of that's when desire trips me up about how like we w- whatever it might be, um, these things that uh, appeal to us or desires that we have that maybe aren't the best for us and the, the decisions that we make that go along with that. Yeah, definitely. And that line in particular really reminds me of the song Civ Fisted Finds where, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, just this like lust for something that uh, ends up being self-defeating, I guess. Right. The, uh, that's a great way to put it. And they're, they're really kind of uh, uh, of a similar piece, you know, and it makes sense that they're really close to each other. 
on the uh, on the album. I and I just think generally speaking, like again, I, please keep in mind, everybody, I'm not great at this stuff. Um, I, I was never in like an English honors class or anything, but it seems to me like verse one. <laughs> Maybe Guy is talking about more like sensual desires and on verse two, he's talking about more materialistic desires. And then the the whole outro, I'm not really sure what he's talking about at all. The the drop with whatever. It sounds great. Speaking of different verses also, I wanted to add in for the record that uh, uh, on the Alphabetical Fugazi page, um, Peter C. has uh, had a story about this song and it's missing lyrics that are not in the liner notes and i thought i just established that so we so we know it yeah um, but yeah he says uh one day in the 2000s i was listening to the song and i couldn't make out the lyrics sung at the 137 mark i opened up mm-hmm. the cd lyric book to find out when i l- realized the lyrics in question weren't in the book uh then i checked the vinyl lyric sheet they weren't there either etc cetera, etc cetera. um so in 2011 i went to see joe play a solo show at the knitting factory in brooklyn Gee was in attendance at the show and after the show I finally had a chance to ask him this burning question. (laughs) Um, I chatted with him a bit, and I asked him what lyrics he sings at that part, but he told me he couldn't remember. He gave me his email address, told me to email him, and he'd respond with an answer. I sent him an email, and he finally gave the song a listen and revealed the missing lyric in question, which is, Once there was a body to see, now just the biggest mouth to feed of them all. He didn't know why the lyrics had been excluded from the sheet. Uh, and uh, I think he says I think this is one of the most underrated Fugazi songs Guy was so kind and patient while I asked him this nerdy question and I'm so thankful that he responded coolest dude ever wow yeah I mean fellas like what other band is going to do that this just really like sheds a light on who Fugazi were as people and how they were just like yeah when Benji and I would go up to them after that show in Springfield Oregon they were just like so gracious you know yeah um I, I, I didn't say much more to Guy than I, I love your music. Um, and he was just so like gentle and kind about the whole thing, you know? Um, so like, I love that. Here's my email address. Hit me up and uh, we'll get to the bottom of this yeah. like mystery of the missing lyrics. So cool. Yeah, And he's just trying to see, he's just trying to see his friend play a show and, and still extends that, you know, that kindness, which is, which is great. And I think it also speaks to the way that we all interpret and experience music differently too. Cause uh, you know, Steven's very, uh, like he he has notes and he reads liner notes and and the um the person that wrote in same thing, I uh, I mean I live in a very I guess ignorantly blissful experience where I I I'm not a big dig into the liner notes kind of person, so I've always heard those lyrics in my head and it's funny because if uh, <laughs> uh, those those lines I've always just heard as I experienced that song because I'm not one to really read through the 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 lyrics and so I could have told you about the biggest mouth to feed of them all because that's just what I always heard with my ears which is kind of a funny funny way that we just all experience things differently well Benji it sounds like you live in a healthier world than (laughs) maybe the likes of me and that one wonderful write-in uh but uh you know it's funny I actually again I'll be honest I haven't looked at the insert in in many years um but, uh, you know, I, I think I had like I looked up the lyrics online, of course, and they actually most of the lyrics online leave off the ending, not not just that one line. Like I had to go to Genius to get like a, a partially cobbled together version of the end. And again, that's one of the reasons I'm not really sure what's going on at the end because uh, there's missing words and stuff. But, uh, yeah, it's kind of funny how like that line was left out of the liner notes. And may, I'm guessing that the other the outro was left out, too, for some reason. Yeah, I, I well, I mean, a lot of this song too. It is a little difficult 
to it, it seems like Guy is sort of repeating half-formed lines that he's already said but yeah like it's at some point he sort of like lapses into this delivery he sounds like a whimpering dog or something <laughs> he's like mm, yeah and he's yeah he's just reiterating what he said but just like in bits and pieces little snatches of ideas so yeah i i, I wonder if that's like how much of that is he felt like he w- was going to put something else in there and he just never sort of got around to to writing something new and just right. sort of made this performative choice it's it's not the easiest song in the world to transcribe right true but you know i think it does also say something about like um uh oh i'm i'm kind of spacing on the the concept but it's like um you know the emotional versus the literal or, or you know or the um and the meaning of that and it's like well you you can you can kind of tell like like a great gee performance you, you can kind of tell what what he's saying you know emotionally speaking and again I, that's kind of how i come to music anyway emotionally but um it also is worth mentioning his vocal performance on this is fantastic you know the it's interesting to hear like the television comparison but i like he's just amazing on it you know the the um when that line at the end privileged lines when, when he says that and kind of does that you know at the end like the phrase almost doing a french kiss or something <laughs> or i'm sorry a chef's kiss let's chef's not get that kiss. twisted those are two different things um uh i'm not starting any gee rumors here but um yeah i think his vocal performance on this song is just unbelievably great well it's, it's part of the magic too of this band and i, I know it's probably been brought up before but one of the things that makes it hard to paint them into a corner and they're like I doing a little bit of research for today you know some comments somewhere about two beats off were like best punk band ever I think it's on one of the YouTube uh, postings of this song and it's just like I I've always kind of uh, graded against seeing Fugazi as a punk band I mean sure there's those elements but they're in a in a weird way in the same way that the Beatles give you Lennon McCartney and all of those contrasts this to me just feels like the classic uh, with Fugazi, you have Guy and Ian, and you know, in the with the broad brush, you've got Ian and the big anthems and Guy and the just super emotive things. Like to me, the uh, like what you were mentioning, Ian, with the repeated uh, lines, like Guy's songs that resonate the most with me were always just the ones that create those vis- visceral images, and and that cut my nails to the quick. That like burned into my you know teenage brain. Yeah. And whenever I think of this song, it's just like I see. That, that time where you chewed your nail too close or you clipped it too close and it's just like, it's such a, or, or you know, as a pet owner when I've trimmed my own dog's nail too close and then you get oh, the, the worst. mess and it's, oh yeah. yeah. So it's just like this song takes you to that place and I think that's what always, and it's not, I mean, obviously so many of Ian's uh, lyrics resonate as well, but this is just one of those classic, I, I paint it as a, it's like in and out, just like the knife, like those types of lyrics where you just, um, I think what is missing from a lot of music is that, um, is the the imagery that is painted with the words and i think yes. uh, gee does that in a way that just resonates so well with me and also just kind of creates uh makes this band so hard to categorize and and what makes them you know that undefinable favorite uh that emerged you know in the teen years and i can still say you know at 45 they're still my favorite band and still i can't quite put my hands on exactly why but i uh i have a little bit of knowledge to drop here the hyponychium, yes. informally known as the quick, is the epithelium located beneath the, pl- the nail plate at the junction between the free edge and the skin of the fingertip. It forms a seal that protects the <laughs> nail bed. I was, cur- I was curious about that. When like, broken. What exactly is the quick? Um, 
Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. It's it's again, it's like this uncomfortable body imagery. Stuff with fingernails messes with me, man. Yes. Like I, movies where like somebody's tortured by messing with fingernails. That's like okay, the worst. Okay, right? okay, yeah. that's enough. <laughs> um, but I'm, and, I'm my skin is crawling down. <laughs> and a gee doesn't go that far, of course, but still, like the just saying that just uh, skeeves me out a little bit. Um, I oh, do definitely. sort of have the lingering question. Why would cutting one's nails to the quick make it less likely that that person would be caught with their hand in the till? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not. I I don't exactly understand the relationship there. Um, like, but it makes you think, doesn't it? <laughs> it doesn't seem to have like a clear logical meaning. Although, yeah, just from an uh, like from sort of a metaphorical perspective, it's like sort of making everything as as clean as you can without any. Um, any messy edges or 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 non squared off corners, but still uh, messing up somehow. Still, there's some kind of <laughs> loose end that you didn't see or understand. So that's as that's as close as I think I can get with that line. Yeah, yeah, and I I think I'm I'm also reminded of just that saying of uh, cut to the quick. You know, where I forget what it means exactly, but I think it almost means like you're you're insulting someone so much to just like, like a withering insult, you know, to really just, um, you know, or you're almost saying to someone like you're dead to me, uh, something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like what you just said though, Ian, and it kind of reminds me how I think there, there is a bit of a struggle in this song again, of that desire where like, we're trying to keep everything contained and do our best, you know, and, um, mm. And, you know, keep things clean and, and, you know, behave the way we should, but, but we still get our hands caught in the till. And, and nails are like shoes. <laughs> oh, jeez. Sorry. I, I, that's the last time I swear. <laughs> well, it, but it's also, it's like, uh, when you, you look at somebody's nails, you know, uh, and it's, it's one of the first giveaways. Like if you got dirt under your nails or, uh, it's like when you see somebody's shoes, the condition of their shoes will tell you a right. lot about them as a person. So uh, maybe it is that you know, like that clean outer appearance to be able to try and get away with something. I don't know. Yeah, I suppose that ties into privilege, sanctions, everything. Just sort of uh, yes, looking like a, a clean cut person, but still. Yeah. Um, by the way, uh, speaking of getting caught with your hand in the till, red-handed, uh, there is another song about being caught stealing that that brings to mind. <laughs> yeah. Ah. namely been caught stealing by been james addiction yeah. which you right. guys came out the same year 1990 so Ooh. there's there's a trivia for you oh yeah yeah <laughs> and again like there. i was talking about all that you know alternative boom in the early 90s like i loved ritual Dilo habitual like yeah, such a too. great album um yeah really good so i'm i'm, I'm kind of pleased you brought that up should but, say that um, the uh the fugazi album came out first though so clearly james oh, addiction was stealing ideas for Obviously. sure those thieves <laughs> red-handed <laughs> i i do love the then um you know the the biting nail imagery though because like i'm a horrible nail biter so like i really relate to that like again uh, benji was just talking about if you can see somebody's nails it's like well look at mine they're horrible <laughs> like uh, even yesterday i was like just going off on a tear and it's it's ridiculous like um, I like, especially now you're not supposed to put your hands in your mouth, but, oh, um, I was caught red handed with my fingernail being shaved off by my teeth. So, so yeah, sorry. That might be too much information for some, but honestly it like, it's, um, 
it's something that stays with me. And also just, uh, I don't know, maybe this is me saying something because it's another song that I like a lot, but, um, there's a U2 song called Daddy's Gonna Pay for Your Crash Car that I really like off their album Zeropa. And there's this line about it, nails bitten down to the quick. And I think it creates some other great imagery. And I, I just always related those two songs in, in some ways. But um, I also think that uh, there's something here where, you know, especially after listening to this podcast, you can clearly see Guy really has this like body horror fascination. You know, he talks about, you know, things that bodies do and and all these different things and and he does like i can't help but think he's referencing a body part uh when he says trophy swelling <laughs> which i is just a hilarious line to me uh sorry i find it very humorous yeah um, yeah like w- whatever he is talking about that he's trying to get um i like to describe it as swelling is so <laughs> like it makes you wonder <laughs> it does make you but even if it's like used in a metaphorical sense like i i totally get it it's like you this this object of your desire uh, it, it's like almost you want it so much it's almost like pulsing or like growing or something in, in your vision and that's like this he uses this amazing sort of like body focused language to describe it which yeah classic gee stuff yeah, and I mean to be clear, he, he could be talking about the heart or something. You know, I don't mean to be uh, <laughs> obscene. He, he could be talking about a stack of cash, but it's still, it's like yeah, absolutely, yeah. It, absolutely. It's in the it's in the commerce verse, and so yeah, it can uh, the lust can apply, you know, physically or to the or to just the acquiring cash and acquiring money. Yeah, it and works both privilege. ways. And and uh, of course, to those um, missing lyrics, once there was a body to see, now just the biggest mouth to feed. Um, I, I think that deserves to be mentioned in the same conversation. It's uh, I, like that. That's pretty interesting. And you can you can interpret that. You can at least see it literally as another sort of body horror thing, like just a huge yeah. mouth instead of a body. Um, right. <laughs> I don't know if you guys there's if you guys are on Instagram, a really good follow is the Guinness Book of World Records because. <laughs> just like they they post this amazing stuff and sometimes it's horrifying and one of the horrifying fingernail growth (laughs) (laughs) but most jars of fingernail clippings yeah well no one of the most horrifying things is they have an award for largest mouth gape so like basically who can open their mouth the widest (laughs) and like there's the most space in there that you can fit something in and like the the people (laughs) showing off uh that is oh my god it's haunting it'll haunt your dreams uh, so well, and that's Guinness has to send people out for those tests too. So like that means somebody from Guinness has to go with somebody's mouth agape <laughs> and measure it. That's <laughs> yeah, that's a pair of horrifying. calibers or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, also in that verse, I really, I really like the um, right before privilege. Money lets the pieces fit where they fall. That's such yeah. an interesting idea. It's like and, and, and encapsulated into this little line. It's like, yeah, there's there's so much randomness in life. And if you don't have the privilege to be able to deal with randomness with a plum, it can really hit you. But if you have money, like it's somehow those pieces will fall into place neatly and you can construct your life around them. I think that's really fascinating. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I can't help but think, I know that um, Guy was being somewhat sarcastic before the this performance that one time, but I, 
I can't help but start reading things then to like the postman always rings twice now. Like I think it deserves like another read or, or a rewatch with one of those films. Cause I think there's some, there are some thematic themes that, that um, I don't know, you, you could easily apply to some of those lines. I definitely feel the desire to go back and rewatch or reread at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you two have any other thoughts uh, lyrically or shall we jump into the music? Yeah, I'm I'm ready to talk a little music. All right. Uh, I mean, the the first thing I'll say uh, is that the opening chord that uh. Guy plays has always stuck out to me. Um, it's one that I've cribbed and used in in different bands. Like I've definitely like ripped off riffs and stuff from it. But it's basically like uh, an an opened A string with like the octave on the D, and then I think he's hitting the the. E notes on a G string and so it kind of creates this it's an open A chord but like a bit more chimey and I think it really lends itself well with uh, with the Rickenbackers that Geep plays it has this nice open sound and like that type of chord you can hear in songs like uh, Airbag by Radiohead during the verses um, I think they're playing that same type of A it just gives it a, the A a little different feel not to be like super music uh you know theory about this but um i just think it's a cool way to play the a chord yeah no to me the opening chords sound like some kind of foreign instrument it hardly sounds like a guitar mm-hmm. right like a like a bouzouki or something like that yeah it's yeah so very jangly and um yeah like high tension high pitched kind of instruments it's it's yeah a little singular i think in terms of the Fugazi catalog, I, I don't know if elsewhere there's another place where his guitar sounds quite like that. Yeah, and it, it's it's such a signature. It's like you know, like um, it, it's. I mean, the I don't know if anybody else has watched like the Beatles, uh, the, the new Beatles Get Back thing that that just came definitely out that you were talking about reprocessing and re-reprocessing to get enough trouble into something. It feels like that, like like what you're saying, Ian, where it was just there's. There's the singular is probably a good way to put it. There's no other song I can think of that has that timbre of 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 guitar that just sets it up so that you know when it's two beats off and you know that uh, that it's that song and it's so different than everything else and really mm-hmm. sets the stage for the song. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of droney and like uh, I think touching on the reason it sounds different. I wonder if it has something to do with like mic placement or anything. Again, I'm kind of. Um, dumb when it comes to that sort of thing. But I imagine they, there was some experimentation getting that sound. It is very singular. Uh, P.S. I also love how like the Beatles have been referenced a couple times just in this episode. But anytime the Beatles come up in other Fugazi A to Zs, I'm just like, yes, yes. Because like this is the the Fugazi are absolutely the Beatles, um, like completely comparable in, in their world. You know, like they just they, they changed everything and and they have the talent to back it up. And I think the thing that, um, I, not to get off on too much of a tangent here, but what, what really struck uh, or, or stood out to me about that Get Back documentary is how like when they would push everything aside and just play the music, the connectivity that those four members had, you know, even, um, you know, I mean, it's like the Let It Be is not their greatest album, I think, objectively speaking. Um, but like they were still able to get some great performances just because of that synergy they had the, the four of them and Fugazi absolutely has that too. Well, they do the most horrifying thing for any live musician, in my opinion, which is playing without set lists and the fact that you know that connectivity. 
I can't even imagine, you know, like even when, you know, a band that I've been in for a long time where I know the songs in and out, up and down to be the connectivity to just look over and know that like, okay, if, if my head does this, you know, or just there's that, that, uh, and we, we've seen them enough live to where it, you know, it's not prearranged or anything. And just to be as a bass player, you know, feeding off of a drummer, there's, there's some drummers I've been playing with, you know, for a long time that I have that connection with, but I can't imagine just like, okay. We're gonna entertain these people for ninety minutes uh, and not know where what song is next or whatever. That's uh, a whole new level of connectedness that I that I think this band is uh, has alone. But. Definitely, uh, I, I had yeah. I hadn't thought about this till now either. Uh, but uh, speaking of get back, is is Jerry Busher the Billy Preston of Fugazi? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Has Definitely. anyone ever called him that before? Chill out. <laughs> you just did, and how fitting. Uh, and and they were on their best behavior around Jerry. About those opening chords, by the way, though, when when they come back sort of later, and it's sort of just those chords and Guy playing along with Brendan. Um, mm-hmm. I gotta say, it's that's an amazing um, place to showcase how awesome Brendan Canty is. Like those places yes. where there's nothing else in the mix, it's just Brendan and that very sparse kind of guitar happening. Um, mm-hmm. Amazing! What like one of one of the great drum moments in the Fugazi catalog? I think. Well, oh, but definitely. also like, like Ringo or like any other amazing drummer, where they can show you all of their capability. The eighth note fill snare fill into the the begin. You know when the song really picks up. Like, there's nothing more perfect, beautiful, or I would even say punk rock than that. It's just like, okay, here we go. And then the band does this like thing that I kind of try to train myself away from if there's a riff in a song is that they all go unison on that da 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 then when they drop into that it's like you're not supposed to do both guitars and bass all on the same thing but it's it just it fits and it makes sense and it creates like this uh again it's it's that this isn't punk rock this isn't post hardcore what is this I don't know but it it sounds great and it's it's kind of a convention you're not supposed to do technically I guess but it just completely works for the song well there's so much yeah, risk definitely. for sloppiness like if you aren't tight <laughs> and you're all trying to do the yes. exact same thing it probably could end up sounding crappy so you, you gotta get it tight I guess yeah yeah, yeah I, and it's funny that you bring up that particular riff because uh, the thing that stands out about it is like, you know, early on, I learned all the Fugazi songs on bass or, or most of them. There, there's a couple that I struggled with. But honestly, this is one of them. I never got the da 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 thing down. It's just even to this day, I can't play it. It's it's really hard. Um, so like it just goes to show how tight they are. You know, you listen to the recording or um, live versions of it. And, you know, they're like machines. It's amazing. Yeah. But um, it's a little bit tricky, right? Because it's playing a three note riff over, a, you know, four note bars. Right. So it's yeah. like one, two, three, 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 four. It's uh, yeah. it, it's it's a little mind bending. Right. And I, I, I may have always heard it wrong, but I, f- I always thought that they went like one, two, three, four, and then they went one, two, three, and then they went one, two, or, or so, some kind of variation on that last note as they get, as the verse winds down. I might be imagining that, but uh, I, it's probably me just being like, I give up and I, I'm going to find reasons <laughs> not to learn this. But yeah, it's really, it's a marathon. You have to be locked in just right. Cause I think it is on that turnaround where it really gets screwed up. Cause you could go, da, 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 you know, yeah. like over and over again, but it's like, it's, that other part and it just goes to show like how uh what tremendous music musicianship that they always brought to the fore even even relatively early on in their career you know it's come up before but like fugazi never did like really crazy time signatures or anything 
but they mm-hmm. they did have a couple of ways to just sort of make things interesting within the the 4-4 thing they were usually doing. And another thing like that is just after that uh, intro where there's this big volume jump and the song comes in, they, there are these five big chords. Like, it's not four chords. Yeah. It's one, no. two, right. three, four, five. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's just <laughs> it's just a little bit off from what you would expect in a typical, you know, quote-unquote punk song. Right. Again, it kind of illustrates their... Um you know, really their strengths and why they, why, why we're talking about them right now, you know, um, why they weren't just some band that we were into for a while and, and let go. And I think it also illustrates how, uh, they would rehearse these songs over and over again. And I think in doing that, they would, they would find little ways to sort of tease out certain things and, and really strengthen them and make them, make them interesting to the members so that they're not like, okay, we got to play the song again and it's boring or whatever. I, I think that they were, they were, right. they challenged themselves and that's always really cool. Yeah. And I, I will I will say one thing about that particular riff too. the da 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 da. Um, Ian, I don't know if you're familiar with the Discord band Smart Went Crazy. Yeah. Chad Clark, friend of the show. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah love love Chad episode. Clark. Benji and I are huge fans. I actually I think I like uh, I think I like Beauty Poe even more than Smart Went Crazy. They're they're uh, I'm really glad you had Aaron Nelson on because uh her vocals on this newest beauty pill release are just incredible. She just yeah. sounds amazing. And Chad Clark always does awesome things. But anyway, they released um, this album con art that uh, all of us mm. got into um, like me and Benji and, and some of our friends. And there's this song on there called exit fair. And it starts with a cello and uh, it kind of reminds me of that riff. I, I'm not saying that smart when crazy ripped that off or anything. They're just, it's like if you were to slow down the um, two beats off guitar part and at, put it on cello, it might sound something like that. I, again, maybe that's just me putting my own thing on it, but it always kind of reminded me of that or, um, or even, or even the jaws theme a little bit, you know, when it, <laughs> when it starts building up there's just, you know, it, it, it's to me, that guitar part is the sound of like slashing bows over strings, you know? The thing about a shark's eyes. <laughs> black They're like dead a doll's inside. eyes. Yeah. <laughs> well said. Anyway, we delivered the bomb. There it is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but o- overall, I think musically speaking, this this song is... is I'm really glad you mentioned that part where it's just Guy and Brennan because Fugazi played with space really well, right? Not just like the not just the breaks like during waiting room or whatever, but they really things were open and um, they let things breathe. And the fact that like Joe doesn't play on certain things is really cool. You know, it emphasizes when he does come in. And that's one of those parts. But I, I think overall, the song just, you know, combines a lot of the classic elements of where like you have them being spacious and then you have them being loud you know when it hits in right after you know gee says red-handed at the very beginning it's like there's kind of like a i don't know and all for lack of a better term like they they could be acdc at that point they could be led zeppelin they're just so tight and yeah. it pops mm-hmm. you know huge um, volume jump yeah oh yeah yeah and it just uh it, it's incredible but then they, they go back to subtle and then it gets heavy at the end and uh and you know he, or he, you know, starts uh, howling like a puppy, and and, it, <laughs> and you feel it. You know, it's really great. This, this this song, they definitely go places. You know, I was I was gonna mention space too. That that's where I was gonna go. So I'm glad that you brought it up. But like being able to drop to just bass and then drop to like to me, this yeah. song has everything that resonated with me. Um, with like their early catalog, this song seems to have it all because you've got the drums and the bass. Then you got it just dropping down to bass, which they would do, and then a vocal shout over it, and then it comes back. But yeah, so it's, it's, use of space is perfect. Sorry, Ian, go ahead. 
No, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Speaking of the bass coming in, that's another cool aspect of the song. It sounds like, at some point, the song is over. There's this big resolving yeah. chord. It sounds like the yeah. end of the song. And then a whole new part comes in, you know, sort of uh, ushered in by Joe. Bum, bum, ba, dun, dun. Uh, and then yes. they, they find a way to stretch it out a little to jam on that. And then uh, you have in that part, of course, um, Ian's uh, trademark octave chords, which sound awesome, sound like a machine <laughs> revving up or something. Yeah. Which I have also ripped off uh, ad nauseum, <laughs> not just that opening <laughs> chord. But uh, Ian and to all those listening out there, I will say you can count on pretty much any time Benji or I will pick up a bass. We'll either play <laughs> that breakdown or we'll play the um, the verse bass line of Shut the Door. Shut so the Door, like, yeah. Again, it all goes back to repeater for sure. Like I, I, literally every time we pick up a bass, like we're going to pluck that out. It just it's like uh, breathing to us, you know. Uh, love it. Love it's it. A, it's a good bass guitar album. That is for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Anything else on the music that uh, that you wanted to get out there? Did I did I mention the Jaws theme? Yes, <laughs> yes I did. Okay. No, I'm I'm I, I yeah, I can't believe it. I mean, we we could talk on and on about about this, but um yeah, it's just it's it's really a a great song. Um glad glad we got to talk about it for a while. Well, how great exactly? Let's talk about that <laughs> oh, in a segment go. that we call ratings. Do you like me? Do you like me? Do you like me? Yeah, every time uh, we talk about a song on this podcast, we try to picture the entire Fugazi uh, discography, all, all the recorded songs on a spectrum and see, well, for this song, can we give it a rating in that context from one to five stars? Who wants to go first and tackle this mighty question? Well, uh, Benji, if if you'll allow me, one thing I want to say first off is that, like, uh, you know, I've been listening to this podcast for a long time, and most people are game for for this. And and there's been, it seems like lately there's been some hesitancy, or people will be like, no, I, I'm going to abstain from, um, you know, assigning some kind of value to the song. And I totally get that and respect that. I, I'm, but um, I'm coming at this from a place of being a music geek. You know what I mean? And a Fugazi fanatic. So like, I actually love stuff like this. You know what I mean? I'll like on one hand, yes, all Fugazi songs, including, uh, including songs like turn off your guns are five star songs. Okay. And I'm not going to, ex- <laughs> I'm not going to accept anything less. Okay. So like uh, Ian James, right. I'm sorry, but like your justice letter isn't 2.5. It's 5.2. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Let me just make that clear right now. <laughs> Boom. Uh, but, uh, in all seriousness, like I, I am trying to be objective about this uh, you know um i keep coming back to the fact that it's 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 a banger folks it's off repeater a very seminal album uh i'm gonna go ahead and just give it a 4.5 okay that's that's me being super objective i swear are decimals allowed do you do you break up the stars what's a fifth I, of the star <laughs> i i have like never given specific guidelines so i'm just posing the question and uh Fair, okay. my, my philosophy is that however you answer it uh, tells us something about you and your relationship with Fugazi. So decimals are fine. Anything you want is fine. And uh, and your relationship to numbers too. Yeah, true, <laughs> true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, so for for me, and I'm I'm glad you didn't say five stars because saying they're all five stars is as much of a cop out as saying I can't quantify a song. Um, Fair enough. For me, it's as I mentioned earlier. I mean, it has that singular guitar. It's it's uh, the the imagery and the gee lyrics that that I love. It's got the drop down to the bass, drop down to drums and guitar. It has it all for me. So for me, it's a, I thought I was 
going high, but uh, I would say a, a solid 4.7 since we're using decimals. So 4.7 for me. Well, don't you mean 4.6789, Benji? <laughs> Let's let's be rational. <laughs> oh, 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 you're talking to the wrong person. So Come it's, on, it's brother. Three, was, no, was that a math pun? Oh. It was a math uh, pun. Yeah, Thank you. thanks for recognizing it. that. Oh <laughs> no, I didn't know it was that kind of show. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like I want to give an irrational number for rating myself. Like, I think I'm gonna come in a little lower than you guys. I still really like this song. I like. I was gonna say like almost four stars maybe for me the just slightest bit below four stars possible so maybe like 3.99 repeating that kind of a rating there for you me. go you know that's, i think that's solid yeah i think that's all i think that's what i'm feeling today and you get yeah. to use a math symbol you get to draw the line over this the second six and then just know yeah. that it repeats so although yeah, it's it, very nerdy yeah i i, I feel like <laughs> i've read yeah I, I was never one for math in school but i think i've read that uh, like a 3.999 repeating is actually equal to four, like literally. So, <laughs> so may- maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I should do a 3.998 and just like cut this, it off right this there. This is <laughs> a math podcast. Amazing. Oh, wow. Uh, and, and, you know, I will, I will say that like uh, objectively speaking, this, this actually isn't one of my personal favorite Fugazi songs. I just, you know, I, I love Fugazi, so I like it, but um, I just think that's worth mentioning. You know, like I, personally, I much rather would have talked about 23 beats off, but, you know, <laughs> Um, that was kind of early on. I, th- I think I missed the boat on that one. And Joe Gross is a better guest than me. So, <laughs> <laughs> Joe Gross is a gem. Well, let's talk plugs. Is there anything out there that you guys want listeners to check out? Um, anything of any kind, really? What do you got? I do play a lot of bass around uh, around town locally, so and there's some things I could plug. We brought up Morrissey earlier. I play in a in a Smiths Morrissey tribute band called Louder Than Moz that you can find oh, on yeah. socials. Oh. Uh, it's a long held dream of mine to be in a Smiths cover band. By the way, I'm like that's it, uh, I'm not the most fantastic guitarist ever, but like my my um probably my best talent is my ability to play and sing Smith songs at the same time. That's not something every guitarist can do. So I would like to do that. So I'm a no, respect. <laughs> I, I cannot do that at all. Those, those, I mean, I can barely play the guitar part. So respect to you, Ian. No, that would be a feat. And the funny thing is like, as I mean, as a musician, I think I always kind of looked down on karaoke, but play, and I used to always have an interesting relationship with tribute bands thinking, Oh, that's kind of silly, but it's funny. It, uh, playing those songs and in, to an audience of people that want nothing more than to hear those songs and be able to sing along and dance. It's I've figured out, or at least for me, my experience is that it's like being a uh, it's the musician's version of karaoke you know you're playing stuff that you you vetted and that you love and um getting to provide that entertainment for somebody else so it's a lot of fun but uh, i also play in an originals band called the frequence that is uh uh can also be found on socials uh facebook and such um and then steven and i have actually started up a project just fairly recently that doesn't really have a online presence yet but uh we're we're starting a band called the cry wolves that we're just throwing some stuff together that will You'll hear all of the ripped off um, chord voicings and uh, octave <laughs> octave guitar parts that uh, that we've stolen from Fugazi. So we're working on that as well. Yeah, and I I, I think uh, for my plug, um, uh, you know, not to get too sentimental or anything like that, but uh, you know, people are going to hear this after the fact. But we're actually recording this Christmas week, and whatever your belief system, I certainly want to hope. Uh, for peace on earth and goodwill towards humankind. And I, I often, especially in the last few years, I've f- thought of like approaching life, like we're at a Fugazi show 
you know, and I just encourage everyone to be cool to one another and treat each other with respect and empathy. And um, I, I just want to say too, like I, as a Fugazi listener, I actually feel like I'm a better person having been truly influenced by them, not just musically. And, and this isn't, meant to be like idolatry or anything like that it's something more aspirational as fugazi fanatics i think we can find inspiration and um are encouraged to promote like radical positive change starting from within and i really think that that's truly their legacy and for example thanks to benji recently i borrowed his uh, instrument dvd and rewatched it just a few months ago and i think i appreciated them more as people than necessarily music ma- makers and i kind of fell in love with them all over again truly and i just think these four guys they're just humans right they they have their own issues like anybody but i think they've really they've done things the right way for so long and i just want to encourage everyone out there to to you know as much as you can follow their lead and um let's just be cool to one another and pick up after yourself is also part of the shows yeah definitely (laughs) (laughs) don't throw cups on stage come on if you throw them and then pick them back up yeah it's a hell of a good plug i'm on board and also uh if you don't if this is okay um i don't have an online presence at all but if people want to talk about fugazi or whatever like you're welcome to email me at e-s-s-e-l-l-a-r-r at gmail.com um i uh yeah i love fugazi so um you know let's let's talk fugazi if you want or whatever well if anybody wants another email address to uh, email and talk about Fugazi, there's mine, which is fugazi a to z at gmail.com. Email me about whatever. I guess don't probably probably don't email me anymore about uh, wanting to be a guest on the show. I think the, <laughs> I think the books are closed at this point as we are uh, sort of rounding the uh, rounding third base, heading towards home. But um, do join me for the next episode when we'll be discussing the untitled intro track of The Argument. Until then, keep your eyes open. <laughs>